Ticats Audio Network. This is the CFL This Week with Bubba O'Neill. This is the CFL This Week here on the Ticats Audio Network. Of course, as always, every week, every Monday, we go deep with the most uh, sometimes controversial and topical topics that there is to beat up on. And this week, of course, we bring in our great co-hosts, three of them this week, two of them, good friends of the show. And yes, rookie alert, rookie alert. <laughs> Let's start with the rookie. He does right for Canadian uh, football perspective. And of course, as you see the double blue, of course, we are the Ticats Audio Network. It has to be recognized. He is an accredited writer for the Toronto Argonauts, and he hosts the X's and Argos podcast, Ben great to have you i'm really happy to be here and i'm sorry about bringing all the double blue along with me well maybe i'm not (laughs) (laughs) wow hey i know you know it's good to see a proud argonauts fan that's a i'll I'll go that deep and say that much he writes for the winnipeg free press writing about the jets and what's gone wrong there and what may happen this year but of course he's all smiles with the winnipeg blue bombers jeff hamilton thanks for joining us Oh, my man. Good to be here. You know what I was going to say? You don't, you know, as, as much as this is the Ticats audio, you don't have a single recognition of Hamilton in the background there. And we appreciate it over here in Winnipeg. Oh, there it is. There it is. Oh, don't, don't let them fool you. Don't let them fool you. Good to I be try, here. I'm trying to be bi- unbiased always, always, always. And he does the best job of being unbiased all the time on TSN. <laughs> No doubt, Glenn Suter bringing it every single week with his analyst and analysis of the game and experience, and uh, always great to have you on the show there, Glenn. Well, if you take a look at my Twitter account, you'd say I'm not uh, unbiased. That there's, <laughs> It's quite amazing after a game, especially with Saskatchewan in it, when I have Saskatchewan fans saying, well, he's overcompensating because he used to play. By the way, that was like 40 years ago or something. And... <laughs> And then there's the very next tweet is, oh, my goodness, he cheers for Saskatchewan. So my Twitter, my Twitter account would suggest that uh, I'm not unbiased, but I try to be. Well, in terms of social media, I don't know where to take this. I mean, but and I'll be something we'll talk about in this week's show. Guys, let's start right off the top because they are on top. Blue Bombers, 9-0. and They've yet to have a bye week. Glenn, I think it was you that brought that up, and I didn't even know that. I was like, what? This team have yet to have a bye week? Um, is it premature? We'll start with you, Glenn. Is it premature to start discussing the CFL's first 18-0 and season? Uh, you know, I, I still think it's early. There's a lot of football to be played, but I, I love it. I mean, let's do it because it, it'll get a whole bunch of people talking. It's another way to promote sort of the big bad bombers in the world of Canadian football. I mean, sometimes it's good to have your sort of New York Yankees type of team that everybody is always gunning for. And when you're on the top, that's what, that's what you are. So, you know, I think it's, it's great to go in and say, can this team pull it off this week? And we're going to do that until they finally drop one. And I don't, you know, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm sort of standing on the fence with it because it is early, but let's keep doing it. <laughs> ben, what do you, I mean, they look incredible. Whether they play incredible or not is another thing, but they're 9-0. I think it's going to be, it's just too tough. It's too tough for them. And they've had, it's not like they've been blowing everybody out. The funny thing is, like, other than BC, which, you know, this is the last thing you would expect anyone would really take the the hammer to, but 
they haven't really lit it up on anybody. The one of the problems with Winnipeg is that they seem to sort of match whoever they're playing. Remember, they they should probably have lost to the Red Blacks in week one. Toronto was a missed extra point away from that game going into overtime. So I think there's only so many of those uh, that that you can go through without just the, the the football gods having something go wrong. So I think 18 and 0 is is a stretch. And and that said, just for for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, I hope they lose soon because I can tell you they don't want this hanging over them. This that's the last thing the coaching staff wants heading down the last few weeks of the season. People talking about an undefeated season, they do not want that because it takes the focus away. It it then puts pressure on you to not rest guys maybe in the last few weeks. So I, I hope for their sakes they lose soon. You know, Jeff, I may I can't think of a better head coach to deal with a situation like this than Michael Shea. Um, eighteen and zero. Are you smelling it? Well, you know what? It's it's, it's a, is it premature to talk about it? Absolutely not. Is it premature to demand it or suggest it? For sure. I mean, this is it's tough. Mm. It's tough to win week in and week out. As for talking about it, I, I think it's fair in the sense that. If you look at if you look at the if you look at the CFL season like 18 holes, you the, the bombers have finished the front nine perfect. So now we have a we have a sample size. I mean, when it was four and oh, five and oh, we didn't have a sample size that you could look at and go, okay, can they replicate that? Well, as you kind of mentioned off the top, this team hasn't had a bye week. Now they have competition in this back nine here. They play BC twice. They play they play Saskatchewan twice. They play Calgary once more. So it's not as if they're going through the lowly east, but they're doing so under much different circumstances than the front nine. They have three buys over here. And as far as, you know, as you mentioned, that is the difference as head coach Mike O'Shea. This, look, I cover this team day in and day out. It's exhausting in hearing the, exa- the same thing, but it's been like that not through the first nine weeks. It's been th- like that through the first two years. And then nine weeks of the last three seasons. So, you know, is it premature to suggest they can do it? Absolutely. I don't think they will. There's a reason why there's there's no perfect team, uh, in, in, you know, in the CFL uh, since the Canadian Football League. I know I think it was 1930 something or whatever that they, they that there was the perfect season, um, including a great cup win. But, you know, certainly too premature to talk about that. I think the Bombers biggest issue of get going 18 and 0 is going 15 and 0 or 14 and 0 locking up first in the west and then not having nearly you know or not having their starters playing the last three four months like we saw in 2021 so i think it's going to be very challenging it's going to be a, a you know a mark that the bombers are going to have no interest in hitting so if they do get to 18 and 0 or sorry 16 and 0 they're not going to play their best guys the last two games to get that perfect mark. It's all about the great cup. So as fun as it is to talk about it, I'm with, uh, I'm with the panel in the sense that it might be premature to suggest it's happening, but it sure is fun to talk about week in and week out as they continue to, to get wins every week. Guys, two things fair from Jeff that really blow me away is that if this team does get into a position of being 16 and Oh, right. I mean, we're talking incredible history to go 18 and Oh, in a football season is incredible. I I mean, am I being foolish here? Sitting starters when you're on the verge of the ultimate history for a regular season suits? Like, would you actually even think about doing that? Oh, yeah, yeah. And Michael O'Shea will do it because it is about the championships. Uh, that's, that's the legacy you want to leave, um, that you are a champion, the best in the league. Um, and to do it and to three-peat, uh, which will be on the line at that point. You know, I, I think you guys make a great point with regards to those final two seasons and wondering if they can get to 18-0. and 0. 
those final or not season, but games, those final two games of the year, uh, very likely, very likely that they don't play their starters and Zach doesn't play and all of that. So, you know, they drop one of those and the perfect record is gone. But again, I, I don't think for a second, Michael O'Shea will hesitate to rest his starters, make sure he's ready for a playoff run in another championship. And it's funny that, that Glenn kind of said something that really rocked my socks there is he kind of said that the big, bad bombers, like, <laughs> like we were talking about, you know, in terms of the franchises, the big, bad Argos, you know, because they had all the money and the Edmonton. I mean, I'll go back a little further to the Eskimos when, you know, their years of championships and the dynasties coming from those teams, even Montreal there in the 90s with the Calvillo years. And we're talking about, I mean, uh, hey, I, again, the Tiger Cats here haven't won since 1999. The Bombers had an incredible streak of not winning a, a, a Grey Cup. And now here we are talking about them being the dominant force of the Canadian Football League. It's, it's a surprise to me here. But it's great in that the, they're such entertaining games. Like almost every Blue Bombers game this season has been wonderful. And I, I want to I, I take issue a little bit with some of the narrative of the the East being terrible and the West being great, because you look at some of those Bombers games against the East teams, which one of those games wasn't an entertaining game. You know, they've played Ottawa a couple of times. They played Toronto. The, the, the you know, it, it's, it's those teams that have actually challenged them a, a little bit. So I, I think there's way more parity in this league and even then the records would show. Cause you look at the records and yes, the East looks pathetic and the West looks great, but the games between East and West, for the most part, have been really close. And what I love about the Bombers is having a sort of dynasty team like this is good for sports. It is good for the league, but especially when they're competitive games. If they were walking out every week, blowing teams out 60 to nothing, that's not good for the league. But having this sort of dynasty team that is in games, that has to come from behind uh, to beat the Red Blacks, uh, that's, that's a great story. And that's worth following. There's nobody missing a, a Blue Bombers game any week because they're like, oh, it's, you know, they're going to crush this team. That doesn't really happen. So I, I think it's fantastic. Jeff, and you bring up bring a great point about being in the, in, the, in the locker room and in the media room and having to hear the, the coach rhetoric, <laughs> which we hear all the time. That's all the coaches saying kind of the same thing. What are the fans saying? Oh, the fans. I mean, it's never been a greater time to be a, a fan of the blue and gold. I mean, this is this is their time. I mean, you mentioned that drought. It was 28 years. So it wasn't, you know, what it was quite some time. It was an entire generation of fans that missed out on a championship. So everyone's riding high. And, you know, it's, it's funny, right? But the, the big bad bombers tag is, is, is funny to me in the sense that they're the big bad team because they're the big bad winners but they're actually probably one of the most likable teams in the canadian football league and and they've done it away in a way that every other organization is trying to replicate if you look at some teams in the past and i'm not going to necessarily point out you know specific teams out there but i mean you look at even the toronto Argonauts in 2017 i mean they kind of bought a team it was just it was you know it was fine talent and, and all came together this is this is what you need in the Canadian Football League you need continuity you need continuity in your in your in your executive you need continuity in your coaching staff you need continuity in your in your roster and everyone's chasing that um you know and and it's it's just it's just become you know it's it, but it's it ta it's taken time it hasn't been an over the night situation like if, if you'll recall I mean people wanted Mike O'Shea the hell out of town. He was 12 and 24 through two seasons. All, all the, all the, you know, all the columnists were writing that he was a waste of time. They were focusing on his, his shorts and not his strategy. And, and ultimately, 
you know, he, he turned things around and, and, you know, just off, just to kind of bring it all around to the, to the question. I mean, this is this, they will be aiming for a third straight championship. This is dynasty territory. That is, that is the priority here. If they can lock things up early, they'll want to do that. And, and, you know, they're, they're one home win, uh, win away from, you know, punching their ticket to, to, a, you know, like history. I mean, even if you want to look at last season, the defense was running at a historic level. There was no interest, not just from the players, but for, particularly from the coaching staff to have that record intact, to have those, you know, such few points in the fourth quarter. Nobody cared about that. Everyone cared about, about the playoffs and getting to the Grey Cup. And, and it's just mixed or rinse and repeat this, uh, this season. Last one to you on this, uh, Glenn. Is there something to be said? And I, I ask you because you've played the game. You've seen the longest stretch of, of, of Canadian Football League season. So I, I feel it's important to ask you this question. What is there something to be said about being able to blow out an opponent, but yet find these ways of winning games and, and continue this streak? Yeah, you know, when I, when I hear people say, well, they didn't win by enough. Uh, so they're not a dominant team or they're not blowing out teams. So they're not that great of a team that I just, it's, it's bordering on disrespect because uh, to win at the highest levels is so difficult. I mean, think about it guys to win, to win at your beer league hockey team is with, with eight teams in your division is really, really hard. You know, you have to be consistent. You have to be disciplined. You have to, be doing it for the right reasons, the guy beside you, not for your own personal agenda and, and goals and, um, you know, and awards and things like that. So it, it is so difficult. And to get to 9-0 is, is, is remarkable. And to think that, well, it's, it's, but it's not by enough. Silly. These are pros fighting for food on the table and the, the as as mentioned earlier the the east is not bad because of their records because the games have all been close so you know i just well all 75 percent of them have been close and yeah i know i i think if you're winning that's all that matters it doesn't matter if it's one or 100 i go to my notes here 34 of 37 477 yards passing five touchdowns through the air, one touchdown run. Guys, we went to bed with this one like last week on this on this very podcast. Dan Ralph, I'll give him credit. The only one that said Nathan Rourke is the MVP, the rest of us were all over Zach Caleros. Um, Nathan Rourke, those are incredible numbers. I don't care who you're playing. Now, if Zach Caleros was your pick for MOP last week, like myself, I have now jumped to the other side. Uh, Jeff, are you, who is your MVP? See, this is talk about premature, like, <laughs> like, you know, like it was Nathan Rourke after week two or week one or whatever. Then it was, you know, cause Zach Claris came out of the gate slow. Like he wasn't, you know, I was, you know, writing all those gamers and it was defense, you know, picks up the slack and the defense that no one thought could be replicated from 2021 is back. That was the, that was the narrative through the first three games. And then Zach Clara started to arrive. He started to do what we saw from him late in 2019. He started to extend plays. He started to take games into his own hands. So I'm not surprised while Nathan Rourke 
couldn't live up to his high, high expectations off the bat. I think he dipped for like a week or two. That just changed the narrative to Zach Kolaris being MOP. And I'll be frank, I didn't have Zach Kolaris as my MOP last week. I didn't have Nathan Rourke as my MOP in week two. I think it's a ridiculous thing to, you know, to proclaim. I understand the idea at this stage to do your, you know, your half season awards and who's the leading candidate. And if I did have Zach Claros, which I didn't, I sure as hell have Nathan Rourke now. I mean, he hasn't played nine games yet. He's the most dynamic player. He's, he's proven to, you know, I, I if you go look and check the receipts, I think I had BC at like eighth or ninth in my rankings. Cause I wasn't buying into you know, Nathan Rourke being this as, as big of a stud as he is. I figured as, as is often the case, once you get more film on a quarterback, he becomes easier to game plan against. And, and while Nathan Rourke had some success last season, I, I don't think anybody would have predicted maybe anyone outside of the BC lions organization that this guy was going to be the juggernaut that he's become, but he has weapons around him. It's shown proof that if you can take a, uh, you know, an easier salary, a lesser salary, as is the case with Nathan Rourke, you can, you can, you know, bring in, weapons around him um you know not just not just you know his receivers who are amongst the best in the league but an o-line that's massively improved from this from last season so absolutely i mean if, if you had to appoint the mop today i don't know how you could not look at nathan Rourke, given what he's been able to do the yards that he's thrown the ability of you know he is you know it's hard to look at it we're having this conversation as my last point with a couple of friends over the last couple of days and it's hard to believe caleb evans and Nathan Rourke are in the same league. Uh, I just, you know, to me, it's just this guy is, uh, you know, head and shoulders above, and and we'll see what the last nine games has to show. But I do think it's a bit of a two-horse race, and so long as Zach Claris can continue to play as effectively as he is and, and rack up the wins, I don't see why he won't be in the race. But Nathan Rourke has become, you know, almost in a bit of a class of his own, just pure, you know, individual skill set. And that's it, Ben. I mean, like, he's he's good. Like, and we, I think we all thought, you know, again, right out of the gate. And of course, people were talking NFL the first couple of weeks. And I, you know, I would say, whoa, whoa, whoa. But other than the, the, the bit of a slapping that he took from the Bombers, and even he, I thought that game he played okay. I think the Bombers played so well early in that contest against uh, BC that they kind of fell behind. I, think, I believe Jeff 21 to nothing in that in that mm -hmm. game mm -hmm. yeah well it was the same thing that it was the same thing that uh that the alouettes did to the riders right when when they were coming but it was opposite it was opposites it was the riders were coming off a short week and got pummeled the the bombers were coming off a short week in heading into bc and they were the ones that laid the pummeling but it was yeah it was 21 i think early but it was a it was a kickoff touchdown seven nothing within seconds of the game right ben ben have you seen anything like this kid uh, not not in my memory. Uh, it's it's really impressive. What I love about him is, well, first of all, we talked about the weapons he's got around him and all that stuff's great. But just look at his individual play. He's doing things that you see veterans do, uh, not just in in terms of his reads. Like he's not just he hasn't just been given what you see so many young quarterbacks given, where you've got you've got one read here. You know, you're you're watching the corner. The corner sinks. You go here. The corner sits. You go here. Uh, he's he's looking across the whole field, and it's a good thing. He's got so many amazing targets. But he also has learned to protect himself. That's something that's changed in the last few weeks. You watch him this week. There were a couple instances where he should have taken big hits. And most young quarterbacks who are going to hang in there would take big hits. But you see him do what the vets do, what guys like Caleros have learned to do, where as they're throwing, they then sort of fade away, fall backwards, don't take that big shot. He's learned to preserve himself. He's learned to run more tactically. And that's going to that's gonna bode well for BC long-term, but for himself long-term as well. 
staying healthy. But yeah, he does not look at all in any way like a young player. And he's so young. So that's the most impressive thing to me. You know, it's the thing that kills me about this, and I know the game has changed compared to, you know, when you played where maybe the quarterback took more downfield shots. So your completion percentage was probably lower. You're probably really happy if you had a 60% completion rate in a game and even in a season. You know, I think of a guy like, you know, I'll switch leagues. Joe Namath is in the Hall of Fame, and he's a below 50% passer. This kid, I mean, this game was 93%, and he's now into the eight. He's been hanging around the 80s all season long. I, I can't, and again, I know the game has changed. It's more check down stuff, but that is still incredible to be completing that amount of passes in a single game. Yeah, they used to say that it's hard to complete 80% of your passes in practice against air, you know, because guys are going to drop one here or there. But, um, there's two phenomenal stories going on right now in the league. One we touched on off the top, which is the Bombers 9-0. But the other is this, is, is Nathan Rourke. I, I've never seen it. And I'm, I've watched both leagues for a long time for a 24-year-old to be this accurate, this quick to release the football and process what he's seeing defensively. Um, to, to be able to, there's, there's three things. Kent Austin used to say there are three things that you have to check when looking at a new young quarterback. One is his accuracy. Obviously that's sort of the execution end of it. Two is his decision-making process. Is he throwing it to the right guy? Is he, is he making the right reads? And three is his mental and physical toughness. And we have seen, you know, and that just doesn't, doesn't mean playing through injuries and things to knock on wood. He hasn't been hurt and he's going to have to, at some point, play through a sore knee or a sore back or whatever it may be. This is part of the game. But I have never seen a 24-year-old play with that level of execution, that level of poise and understanding defenses like he does. His off-field study habits are through the roof. Um, Unique, I think. I mean, I I mentioned on the air in, in the last telecast, that I know other quarterbacks in the league are saying, wait a minute, I'm the first guy in too. And the last guy to leave and studying a ton, this guy's taking it to a new level in a lot of ways, including not being on social media for the last five years at all. Like he doesn't, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't have an account in Facebook or anything because he doesn't want to waste his time. He'd rather be watching game film. So I've never seen it guys. I think it's a great, great story and also by the way he's canadian and i hope that we don't i hope we don't as a country just start that narrative that well this probably means he's going to the nfl if he does that he'll be a great ambassador for our league and i wish him the best because he'll make lots of money doing the exact same thing he's doing here but i hope we don't start to tag that with everything we say about nathan work because maybe he does the warren moon method to get there you know, which is win a few championships, you know, be the MOP a couple of times and, and then go and make a, a ton of money down there. I, I hope that's the, the way it goes, because as you guys know, in hockey, we don't hear, you know, sooner or later, Connor McDavid is going to go to an American team. Like sooner or later, he's going to do that because there's more money down there. He's going to do that. We don't we don't say that every single day. We talk about Connor McDavid. I hope we don't do that with Nathan Rourke. Jeff, I mean, and, and that's a great point about the NFL. I mean. Uh, he played. He had a a trial with the Giants. I mean, what? 
these are supposedly the best um, guys at picking apart a guy's game, his study habits, his drop, his throwing motion. What did the Giants not see that, you know, that the, obviously the Lions did? I'd love to peek in their uh, scouting books and give you an exact answer. Unfortunately, don't have access to that. However, I would say it's, uh, you know, if you talk to a lot of people, anyone who gets a chance to play in the NFL, there's a lot of politics that you need to get past. It's a wake up call for a lot of guys who show up there and they, you know, their experiences and it's not sour grapes. They literally did not have a single chance of making the team that that becomes very apparent when you get there and whether it was, you know, not enough to see whether it was, you know, not enough, you know, as, as great as he was in school, if it wasn't, you know, it wasn't as, as good a school as, as players they want. It's a, it's a tough, not to mention it's tough to be, to get a job that is so few, you know? And, and so it's, it's not a surprise whatsoever. I think a lot of the buzz here with, with Nathan Rourke and the NFL is because a, he's doing something extremely special as Glenn has suggested over his time has never seen something like it before. And he's doing it at an age where it demands an opportunity to go to a higher level. And so, you know, you look at a lot of players around the league, you know, you look at guys like Willie Jefferson, guys that stand out and you look, you know, they get their chances, but they've often, if they, well, Willie, I guess had early in his career, but he's too old, you know, he's too old to come up uh, and, and play in that league now. And so Nathan Rourke falls right into that sweet spot of age and execution. And let's face it, if Chris Strebler can get a shot, in the NFL, exactly. Nathan Rourke can get a shot in the NFL, so I think that's where we land. I, I will make one last comment about Nathan's uh, pursuit of MOP, which again I think he's at the leaderboard. I personally, and this isn't a slight against him, would like to see what his second half looks like. You know, he's put up a lot of yards and scored a lot of touchdowns against the Edmonton Elks. They're a tire fire. They've been a tire fire all season long. They're trying to find continuity. Um, he, you know, that last game, I mean, if you look at some of the plays that Davis Sanchez broke down and others on the panel, you know, it, it, there were some pretty big breakdowns on, 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 on what mm -hmm. the hell Edmonton was doing on defense. And again, not a slight against Nathan Rourke. He took advantage of that and he needs to be able to hang in the pocket on some of those, those plays. But these last, this last half season for him, he's got the starting next week. He's got Calgary three times. He's got the bombers twice. Uh, he's got SAS twice. So it's, it's going to be a tough you know, back nine, if you will, for him. And if he can continue to even play close to what he's playing, he's an absolute shoe in at the end of the year awards, in my opinion. Stay tuned, folks. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, this is I my favorite a... topic coming up. This is my favorite topic. Well, coming up. I mean, and, and, and I only bring this up. I, I wasn't going to touch this, but, you know, I, um, I actually had a little back and forth with Gary Stern that I, I didn't really expect. I mean, I threw out a comment and he answered me, and which one excited me. It fired me up. And I was like, this is ridiculous. This is crazy. And then it seemed like there was a whole lot of conversations on social media with Alouette's owner, Gary Stern. He's guaranteeing a victory uh, against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, who are 8-0, and and they are in his building. It seemed incredibly crazy to me. And then a little later in the week, Elks owner Victor Kui is predicting that his team is ready to win four straight games. I mean, this is kind of very Jerry Jones-like. I mean, so I asked the question, I'll start with you, Ben, like, should owners just kind of write the check, sign the check, stay out of the media spotlight, or, or are we enjoying this? I love the 
I love when owners are visible. I actually really like that part of it. Now, this is from a, a fan and a media perspective. I, I think it's fantastic. I think it's good for the league. I think it creates conversations and debates like, like this one that we're having now. And that is all good stuff. Now, from a coaching perspective, I think that's, that's got to be the worst thing ever. So that's the last thing you want as a head coach, having your owner go and predict victories because it's not the same as as you and I predicting a victory for whichever club this is this is the owner they're tied in it's someone within the organization and that carries a different weight with it so yeah I love it I think we all probably here I think enjoy the conversation that that it brings but yeah I feel I feel bad for those those head coaches because it's not a position that you want to say in but on the other hand what's he supposed to say like no we're not going to win or it depends how the question's asked it's just most owners I think We'll find a way around that and say, I have every confidence in the team. We're going to go out there and put on a good game. You don't usually say, yeah, we are going to beat the undefeated Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I guarantee it. Glenn, if I'm Willie Jefferson, I'm going to drop your quarterback. And then I'm going to say, <laughs> hey, leave that message for your owner. Like, Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, 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 they're not even waiting for the questions anymore. That's they're what just... I was going to say. There's not even a question. There's no question there. No one yeah. is asking them. Yeah. But, Sorry, um, you, know, you know, it's funny because uh, I, I, I have no problem with it. Here, here's why. You know, first of all, it has nothing to do with winning and losing. So the, the players are going to prepare the same. The coaches are going to prepare the same. You know, it, it has really nothing to do with it. Um, but if it if it engages one fan, then great, it's worth it. If it engages a handful of people to say, you know what, the owner is talking trash. I'm going to watch to see if his team can pull it out and you know do it for him and back his back up his words. Uh, you know, I as long as we're engaging fans and and finding new ways to do that, that's great. I I think overall, just as a general observation from the outside looking in. Our, our ownership group right now and, and presidents is excellent. I mean, Victor Kui is fantastic in Edmonton. I think he's taking a different approach. I am nothing but impressed with Amar Doman in Vancouver. I've had a chance to talk to him a couple of times. He just did an interview on Sakaris and Price here in, in the Lower Mainland and talked about the Toronto situation and some of their things that they have said publicly and just, you know, basically said, and I'm paraphrasing, but that it wasn't helpful and that they should take responsibility for building their fan base. And I, you know, I, I just am super impressed and feel like finally there's an ally when it comes to selling Canadian football to Canadians. Yeah, I was, I was going to pick up exactly uh, what Suits was saying and, and, and a number of those things, whether it's just the improved or, you know, ownership throughout the league. I think we're at a point now where we're, we're healthiest as ever. There's, there's obvious, you know, efforts made by, you know, the Victor Quees, by Elmer Dolman, by, you know, Gary Stern to be active. I mean, the social media stuff, <laughs> I think it's hilarious. I think it's, I think it's, you know, I do, you look at Gary Stern and I mean, he, he seems like a ticking time bomb. I don't know what's going to happen so far. You know, he hasn't gotten in trouble, but in an age of social media and all these things, I mean, he knows how to, you know, he knows how to, how to how to ride that line if you will and there's so like you know there's some parody accounts about him already where it's like they they tweet like him so he's got an established style of tweeting I just I'm all for it I you know and I you know I think it's I do agree with the you know with Ben in the sense that it, it certainly is 
you know, I think it's tough on the coaching staff. I don't think they necessarily lose sleep over. If you look at the coaches that are involved in that, I think they would probably roll their eyes before anything. Um, but at the same time, like I, I thought, you know, at least Gary Stern's thing was a shtick, right? I mean, every, it was every week and, and it will be every week. Like, I mean, he, he's trying to create buzz on Twitter with his fan base. He's trying to put excitement in there. And when he loses, he, he, it, he doesn't hide. He's there saying, you know, tough night and great effort by the other team and blah, blah. We'll be back next week. And sure enough, three days later, he's guaranteeing the next, the next <laughs> win for his team because he believes in his franchise. I love it. I don't know where Victor Quee was coming from when he decided to say that the Edmonton Elks were going to win four straight games. It was just, and then you know, promptly go out and get their asses handed to them in game <laughs> one. And so that to me, it was just for a guy who's done seemingly done everything right this season for him to have. And, and we did get an answer to it. He did come out and say why he had a conversation with Chris Jones and the staff. And he was, he felt good. He felt great. If you will, coming off the bye, and that they were going to be doing some damage while 12 new players, you know, in the roster, in the lineup from the week before did not uh, translate to success. So he just looks like a guy who is just, you know, a bit of a moron, you know? So, but, you know, and I, and I mean that in the most respectful terms as possible. It's oh, just really? when you come out there and say, you know, the Edmonton Elks are going to win the next four games and then, t- and then put the teams in brackets of who they are. It is fodder. And it really looks bad if you can't even get the, get through the first door without falling through. But, but Ben, I mean, the lot, and this star all started with Gary Stern talking about, I guess playing the Argonauts and right. And, and, and guaranteeing victory there. And, and I mean, shouldn't you learn your lesson? I mean, he missed an ex, his team missed an extra point to, to put a game into overtime. He, and they did, he went dark for a little bit. And I think he actually, you know, God bless his soul. I think he had COVID and he had to shut it down for a little bit. And then, and then he, he but now he's all fired up again. And I, I mean, I think you said it, Jeff, is that the, the coaching staff, I mean, does it not put a little extra pressure on you? I mean, and me, I'm presuming as a coach and a head coach and a positional coach, you got enough pressure on you other than when your owner is shooting the mouth off. I think there's enough. Look look at it. Well, sorry, but just look at the two guys though. Chris Jones, who's probably just like, wants to take Vic, not I'm going to say take him in a back room and shake him, but just be like, Hey, like, you know what I mean? That doesn't matter what our owner says. It's completely separated. And then you look at, and you look at Gary Stern and like Kari Jones already had enough pressure on his plate. He didn't, he didn't, didn't matter if there were guaranteed wins. Anyway, sorry, Ben. No, just just like what you're saying, there's enough pressure on all these coaches. Every single coach, every single week is feeling pressure. Even even Coach O'Shea feels pressure for a different reason, mind you. It's not like a couple of bad games are going to end his career. It's just that this is such a it's such a competitive league like we've addressed before. Every coach feels pressure. And and like Glenn said, too, it's not it's probably so so small an issue. They're trying their best every week. They're doing everything they can to prepare. But it, it doesn't it doesn't help. It's not something you want to hear as a head coach. But that said, the, the league is about so much more than that. And I, I think it's wonderful that we've got owners involved like this. And I don't want to ever say anything negative about Victor because he's been so awesome in everything that he's done this year. It's It's been really refreshing. Uh, but yeah, it's just a, a little confusing. I hope it doesn't go away, though. I hope this isn't the end of this because I have personally enjoyed all of these guaranteed wins, no matter who it's coming from. Well, the best part about it, at least in Hamilton here, is we got an owner that, um, and I know, Glenn, you've had plenty of conversations with with the Ticats owner at Bob Young, and I mean, he takes a kind of different route and says that, you know, the CFL is the greatest soap opera in sports, and uh, whether they win or they lose, he sort of celebrates the league, so... 
Anyway, I guess everyone has their different approach. Uh, let's, uh, again, stay tuned to what happens next on this one. Well, Ben, right on you here for this. I know you got that double blue behind you. Um, and, and I don't know what your perspective is, all your all three of you guys here. If the Argonauts stage that second half comeback, they improved to four and three as they beat the Tiger Cats. Meanwhile, Hamilton uh, blow a 17-6 to six lead in the second half, as they have so many times this season. They are now two and six. The bigger story is... Toronto or Hamilton? I think it's hard to say which is the bigger story. It's just really been more of the same. This is something like, as you alluded to, Hamilton has done this all year long where they've come out and looked pretty good in the first half. And then we get to the fourth quarter and, and the wheels fall off. Toronto has come at it from the other side of things where they've started extremely slow. And so you, you end up with them, exception of maybe the Montreal game. They, they've had really slow starts. And against Winnipeg, they came flying back and, and almost sent it into overtime, if not for the missed uh, convert. Uh, they came back twice against Saskatchewan uh, to win and, and then did this again with, uh, with, with Hamilton this week. So it, it's something that we probably should have been able to foresee that Hamilton will get out to a big lead and Toronto will come charging back and either will have enough or will just fall short of the comeback but I, I think I think it's concerning certainly for Hamilton because this was a real opportunity for them to get over it and I think there were there were so many chances in this game it, it seemed like everything went wrong for them and you know injuries uh, really started to pile up and there's some that that I'm really concerned about Addison is is a, is a huge loss for them and if you're trying to get over a hump with you know with, with some sort of fourth quarter you can put together having reliable players like that in your lineup uh, would help. And I know it was pretty early in the game. I think it was three, nothing when, when Addison went down, but he's such a special player and losing him. I don't know how long he's going to be out. It didn't look good at all. So, you know, I, I, I would be really concerned for the Hamilton Tiger cats moving forward. I, I, I don't think this is, this is necessarily going to end well for them and preseason. I thought they were going to be right in the mix. So, you know, here we are. Glenn Toronto. Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, I, I think there's a couple of stories there. I, you know, when I look at the Argos, I still am on a bit of a roller coaster with McLeod Bethel Thompson. I, I just, it, it feels like one day he's throwing for 400, the next day it's 200, and you're going, what's going on? It, it just looks so different at times. Um, you know, I, I think he's certainly capable. I've talked to Matt Dunnigan about it, and and, you know, all his throws and those those check marks that Ken Austin talked about, decision-making and accuracy and those things, he's he's got that. But there just seems to be these lulls in his game. And probably one of the reasons that he has been on so many different teams in so many different leagues. So there's that. I, I knew Andrew Harris, if he's healthy, that could be the difference maker with McLeod. And for Hamilton, to me, the story is the different pressure on a quarterback what you know when he is one of a two-man crew or the guy and I, I think it's I think Dane Evans has been you know squeezing the stick for the first half of the season a little too tightly to try and show that he's the guy and when he just relaxes and plays his game he's fantastic and that guy we all believe that can be a championship quarterback but I just it's been this sort of push past where you're comfortable and then make mistakes that are so uncharacteristic. So I, I, to me, those are the sort of the two stories on those two teams. If Andrew Harris is healthy, I, the Argos probably win the division. Jeff? Yeah, 
kind of just to piggyback off that, I, I don't know which ones, I think there's two narratives coming out of those two different cities. One's pure disappointment in Hamilton. I think a lot of people had them as, you know, potential leaders of the, of the East again, that maybe this was the year that they would break that great cup drought, that Dane Evans was the right choice. I'm not suggesting Dane Evans isn't the right choice, but whatever's going on in Hamilton right now just isn't working. And, and, and to see in which, you know, in, in which the ways they lose has just been, it's just almost been clockwork. It's just been, okay, they get out to a decent start and sure enough, they, they crumble. And, and what, what is that? Is that second half adjustments? Is that coaching? Is that, you know, it's just, it's obviously an issue there. And as they continue to, to fall behind or what two and six now it's, it's, uh, it's not looking good for, for a team that went to back-to-back great cups to even punch their ticket into the postseason this year. And with, with Toronto, I still like, I mean, I still don't get them. Like, I, I don't, I don't know what team they are. I don't, you know, they, they have great games. They have not so great games. I mean, they, they, they push, you know, they, they start out nicely and then they get pushed around by BC and then they answer back with Saskatchewan and then they lose to Ottawa and then they come back here and they beat Hamilton and what looks like a triumphant kind of second half. It's just, I, I, I have real, I don't know what it is. I shouldn't say real concerns, but it's just, it, I question the discipline on that team. I question the, 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 the personality on that team, the leadership group. I think there's too much fun in that locker room and not enough business, if that makes sense. And that's just my pr- perspective of, of talking to, to some of the players on the team. I think McLeod Bethel Thompson's a leader. I think he's likable. He's a great quote. Mm-hmm. There's all these things that you can point to, but when it comes down to push to shove, I mean, if you'll remember the, 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 the Winnipeg game, I mean, Pinball Clemens had to come from upstairs in his in, in his box to, to 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 stop Brandon Banks from having a hissy fit on on the sidelines. That doesn't happen on teams that are that are you know that you know why it doesn't happen in Winnipeg. I don't need to bring this because they know Mike. They they would feel like it was such disrespect to Mike O'Shea to do that, and they and we wouldn't even have access to what Mike O'Shea would do to them once <laughs> once that game was over. Like I wouldn't be surprised if Brandon Banks was wasn't a member of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers had he pulled something like that on the sidelines of Winnipeg. And I'm not trying to beat up on Ryan Dinwiddie, but this has kind of been a reoccurring theme since he's taken over. It's almost like he's too much of a player, not much of a coach, and they're trying to figure out their identity. And, and you know, I'm speaking a little bit too much about Toronto because I'm not there every day. It's just in what I've seen, you can tell they're a talented team, but when they can't put it together year in and year out with the talent they have, you kind of have to look towards a few of the, you know, I think you have to look towards coaching and leadership on the club. With that said, Ben, the interesting thing here, and, and this is something that I think that just came up on a TSN sort of fact uh, thing during the game on, 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 a, on, a, on a little stat that I didn't even recognize, and it's an easy one to put together, but right now, Ryan Dinwiddie is 4-1 and one versus Orlando Steinar. Yeah, he's, he's, I think he's been a really good head coach. I think that gets lost in a lot of the conversations that we have. Ryan Dinwiddie, since he arrived, has done nothing but win. And put the Hamilton games, you know, as an example, like four and one, that's, that's a great record against, uh, against that team. And I, I think I guess a guy, a guy that won coach of the year two seasons ago. Yeah. And, and Ryan Dinwiddie has done nothing but win and people keep asking questions and I get why, because there are some high profile incidents that occur, but remember as a rookie head coach, he won the East. He finished with the, the best record in the East. And this year, he's got his team in first place again. And it it blows my mind that we still have people writing columns weekly about how Coach Dinwiddie should be fired and how McLeod Bethel-Thompson should be replaced. Like These guys together combined, just the, they've been the best team in the East. And, and Coach Dinwiddie's put together 
uh, an impressive, oh, I think over, over 600 win percentage uh, in his time here. There've been a lot of Toronto head coaches who have come nowhere close to that. The start that he's off to, like Jeff alluded earlier to the slow start that Coach O'Shea got off to in Winnipeg. Uh, you, you think about these, these two years that we've had with Coach Dinwiddie uh, here, uh, they've, they've been fantastic. It hasn't been finishing last in the league like rookie head coaches often do. Uh, it's been winning and there have been some discipline problems. And the issue is that they are so high profile, but it's not like that day to day, you know, watching them at practice every day, they, they don't, they don't look like a team that's without discipline or uh, lacks organization. They're very focused, uh, laser focused. There are a lot of veterans on that team that know how to win because they've, a lot of them have won before in different places. And, they bring a mentality uh, to practice and to game preparation that for some reason hasn't always translated on the football field during games, but there's been some improvement in the area. And I wish, I wish so much that, that Brandon Calver hadn't been ejected from the game uh, just a couple of days ago, because that would have really hammered home the point of, of Ryan Dinwiddie focusing on discipline, but penalties were way down. They had, I think they had one first half penalty and four overall Again, there was a high-profile ejection because the second-string long snapper who was forced into the game because of an injury to the long snapper gets kicked out, and now we're on to our third long snapper. And if it weren't for that, maybe that's not a, a huge story. But if you can put that aside, uh, discipline has improved. The message has gotten across. The players that I talked to, they, they love playing for Coach Dinwiddie. And yes, he is a bit of a player's coach, but I think he's a young head coach too, and he's finding that balance. And there are going to be growing pains. There are going to be game management mistakes. There's going to be issues like this that come up. But what we want to see is an improvement throughout. And as a coach that is, he's only really coached through, what are we at, 20 games now in his coaching career uh, as a head coach? I, I think he's done phenomenally well. Yeah, Ben. No, I just, I, I just want to real quickly. I, I, I want, I don't want anyone to be confused that I, I'm not a, a McLeod Bethel Thompson fan. I, I, you know, you're right. He's a great quote, Jeff, and um, he is, he's got all the ability in the world. Um, I just, you know, I'm, I'm looking at sort of the waves of inconsistency at times, and, and the big moments where you need that drive to go the length of the field. Uh, we need to see those in in the big games, especially against Western opponents. But um, you know, I I like Ryan or or uh, McLeod. I I think McLeod is, you know, a, a great passer. He's a great passer in the league. Glenn, you you were talking about Dane Evans on the Hamilton side of things, squeezing the stick. Yeah. Um, two and six. I don't think there was any one of us that would say at the beginning of the year the Hamilton Tiger Cats through eight games would be two and six. I don't, I, maybe I'm wrong, I, I, you know, but um, is this directly offensive related? Um, have errors on the offense, put the defense in sort of suspect situations and that's why Hamilton are losing these games. Well, I think you go back and look at it and that's, a, you know, exactly why they have. And, you know, when they, when they get out to leads and then those leads evaporate um, you can say, well, you know, the defense needs to make those stops too. Um, I'm sure if we go back and examine every single game, you'll see moments where the defense could have could have contributed more. Um, but I, I just look at, you know, the 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 weird fumbles on a quarterback sneak and things like that are, you know, and, and look at the, the body language of, of Dane. And if and you guys know him well, when you sit and talk to him, he is he is so invested emotionally, physically, mentally, just completely wants to be the guy for that for that team and for the franchise and for the owner and for the fan base and 
And I think when he, he got the job and he got the nod and, and Jeremiah went to Ottawa, he was, he was just, okay, now I'm going to take this and I'm going to run with it. And it goes bad early on a couple of times, just little mistakes, little um, drops in concentration. And all of a sudden they're 0 2 or whatever it was out, out of the gate. So, yeah, I, I think that's been a big part of it. I, and you, sometimes you push too hard and you press too hard and things just get worse. He's just got to play his game. He'll be fine. Jeff, at the end of that contest, first time again, and seeing him play, uh, that he blew his stack. And I don't know if he was yelling at the coaching staff or players or himself, but he had a kind of a, a, a I'm going to call it a, a mini emotional um, breakdown at the very end of the game in the last series of downs that the Ticats offense were on the field. And uh, I mean, I, I that sign of frustration worries me a little bit because to me, then you, once you start visually seeing some of that frustration, that may rub off as, as when that's coming from the quarterback. Ask any quarterback across the league how important body language is, and they'll tell you it's up there as, as one of the number ones. It's not just for yourself. You're the one who's supposed to be calm in chaos. You're the one who's supposed to set the example emotionally for your for your unit, if not your entire team. And when you see when you see your 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 quarterback, you know, falling apart or showing, you know, wearing his heart on his sleeve to the point where he's showing that emotion to be almost too much that sends a message to everybody else, or at least at the very least, it doesn't, it doesn't kind of bring everybody together. And so I think we're seeing that with Dane Evans for sure. I'm with, I'm with suits in the sense that this guy is completely invested. He's a very intelligent young man. He's uh, articulate. He, you know, he cares a lot, you know, he cared, you know, he was an ultimate teammate throughout the entire process with Jeremiah Masoli as they kind of went back and forth, including two visits to the Grey Cup. So, you know, this guy has been battle tested. This isn't, and, and, you know, I don't want this to come across the wrong way by any means and certainly not blaming his performance on it or whatever, but he's had a lot to take on this year personally. And that includes having a baby. And this isn't the, this isn't the NHL. This isn't the NBA. This isn't the NFL where you can fly in your, you know, your support system from across the country. And it's like a small village taking care of a child. You know, this guy is an invested father and an invested player. And, and, and again, I'm not trying to, you know, put any negative twist towards this, but that's a lot to take on. And I think, you know, maybe some of those emotions are coming from a, from a full plate for him. But I also think that, you know, it's, he's a talented guy. Like he's still second in the league, I think in, in passing yards and, yeah. and, you know, he's had to, you know, talk, he's had to launch the ball in some of those, you know, instances where he's, where he's trailing or trying to come back. And he's had a lot of bad luck, whether that's been his own, his own force fumbles against him or, or receivers. I mean, how many times through the first five, six weeks did we mm -hmm. see, you know, him deliver the ball and the numbers exactly where you want it only for it to, you know, in some cases just pop up and go to other players or just have the craziest bounce where he's getting picked off. I mean, at, at some point in time, he's got to wonder why the football gods are against him. But I think, you know, when you just go back to the body language stuff there, there've been multiple, several instances throughout the weeks of him showing that. And there's, you know, that other, that other point where Nick Arbuckle came over and consoled him on the bench after, I mean, that, that stuff, like, look, I'm all for helping each other out and, and supporting, you know, player to player, but that stuff is not great. It's just, it's, 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 it shows defeatedness. And, and for a guy who's, you know, who is, who we've seen in the past face the microphones and, and, you know, come back stronger to see him seemingly get, you know, get more and more things get more and more difficult week in and week out. It's not a great sign for Dane Evans. And it's certainly not a good sign for the Ticats. 
I think at first look, when you look at the schedule for week 10, I guess this would be, BC and Calgary just kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. Uh, I'll name it the game of the week. Uh, ben, who do you got? I, I got to take BC just because of wow. how dominant they have looked at times. Now, that said, I think it's going to be a really tight game. And I, I think I, I can't remember now. I think I had BC over Winnipeg. And obviously that didn't work out well a few weeks back. But they just they have such incredible firepower and Calgary I don't think is in a great place right now remember Calgary's offense only put up 10 points against the Ottawa Red Blacks they they ended up getting another seven defensively Calgary I think really was rattled by the the losses to Winnipeg I think they really felt especially that second game I really think they thought they were going to win that game and they played really well and yet still came up short and I, I think that's that's got them a, a little bit unhinged. I know against Ottawa, they were missing missing some pieces, you know, missing getting carry, missing a head coach. Uh, these things do matter. But just based on watching them last week, Calgary did not look like a team going forward. And I don't think a team could have looked much better than how BC looked this week. So I think it's going to be a great game. It's definitely the game of the week. There's no question. It's the one I'm looking forward to most. So uh, I, I can't wait for it, but yeah, I think, I think I'm going to have to go with BC. I would not be shocked if Calgary won though. Glenn, these are the kind of games where I feel like Bo Levi Mitchell gets that chip on his shoulder. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and you know, he didn't, he didn't have a great game in Ottawa. Let's be honest, you know, and just real quickly on that, on that, the bombers win against Calgary. I agree. I, I think Calgary was poised to be the first to knock them off the pedestal for one week. And when they lost that, I, but I think about the Edmonton game between Winnipeg and Edmonton, where Zach completes seven passes, never in my, in my history in football, have I seen a team where their quarterback completed seven passes and they won the game. I mean, unheard of, but they find a way. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't make predictions, but I, I will say that um, it is the game of the week. I want to see uh, Nathan Rourke up against the best teams in the league. You know, when, when Zach and Nathan went head-to-head, Zach put on a clinic in Vancouver and all of a sudden said, hey, I know everybody's excited about this 24-year-old kid, but uh, reigning MOP is still here and still getting it done. And he really, uh, you know, showed him up. Not, I wouldn't say showed him up, but he looked good. Play- he looked great and they don't play against each other, but um, yeah, I thought Zach made a, you know, a strong statement there by his play and, but this game of the week, can't, can't wait to see it. Can't wait to see Nathan in Calgary against a good Calgary defense. I got to go with the uh, BC. I mean, I, I will say one caveat just to rewind a little bit. There was another game suits that, that someone completed seven passes. It was Chris Strebler two years before, but the difference was he rushed for nearly a hundred yards <laughs> and, 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 and the team equated to like 160 on the ground. And that was not the case in Eminem, but that's just been the bombers. It's been complimentary football. When one phase is, isn't picking up the slack, the other two are. And when, and when they're rolling three phases, uh, they're unbeatable as we've seen this season. But as far as this game, I, I have to give it to BC. 
I think, you know, just, you know, to echo what, what, what Ben had said, just given what the Lions did the week before versus what Calgary did, I think Calgary was very fortunate, obviously up against a lot of obstacles with, with COVID and not having their head coach and missing guys like Trey Roberson and Sean McEwen. Those are big losses. Um, but at the same time, like I, I just find that, you know, they were lucky that they played Ottawa last week. I don't know if they would have beat many other teams. Um, but that being said that, you know, this is a team I, I think with the stamps have a lot to prove. I think there's a lot of pride in that locker room for sure. And this, this will be kind of the game of who decides who's second best in the West behind the, you know, the big, bad blue bomber. So I think both teams will be motivated and um, certainly I'll be keeping my, uh, I'll be, uh, I'll be watching that one from start to finish. Glenn, you get out to that stadium quite often. It, it looked like the, the fans were really out there for the, the, the last contest. Uh, and when they did play the bombers that they got, I guess, a season high in crowd and attendance. And, you know, can that make a difference at McMahon stadium for this team here and getting that crowd support? And as you talked about, I mean, getting Kadeem Carey back and of course your head, head coach uh, coming back from COVID will be a, probably a big addition for, for Calgary. But um is, is there, a, I mean, it's definitely a difference in Winnipeg. I mean, the, the fan support and the, the volume of the crowd, that can be a difference maker. But can that be the same way in Calgary? Yeah, I, I think there's, you know, there's not a sport in the world that uh, takes more advantage of home, home field. I mean, that's football and home field is why you get three from, from uh, you know, the, the bookmakers and the and the gambling guys, you just basically you're, you're plus three when, when you're at home. I mean, it's, it's part of it. So, and that crowd, by the way, against Winnipeg was outstanding. And, um, you know, I know there were a few narratives on social media that suggested that there weren't enough fans and why aren't they more? And I, I just, I, I, I still scratch my head that we continue to, to beat up on the people that are there and wonder where the people that are not there talk about them all the time. They were a great crowd. The atmosphere was fantastic. The tailgating was off the hook. Great. Cause I walked around the parking lots before the game. They were loud. They helped, um, you know, didn't get there, didn't get the job done on the field, but uh, the crowd was fantastic. And yes, it can help. It definitely can help. Even if it, causes one illegal procedure call at the wrong time for the opposing offense. Even if there's a time when they can't communicate quite right on defense because they can't hear each other and they mess up a signal and that costs a bust in the coverage or something. You know, all of those little things matter in those plays, especially against two really good teams, which we're going to see in this game and this week. So it can matter. And let's, let's talk about the 25,000 plus that were there in Calgary that were loud and fantastic. What other thing, what other event in our country can, can bring 25,000 people together in the middle of the summer? Not many, maybe the odd blue Jay game while they're in the, in the uh, championship run, but um, not many. <laughs> I, I'm with you on that guys, but uh, I will be coming after you guys next week because I'm picking Calgary in this game. That's who I'm going. After, <laughs> That's who I'm liking in this one. I think, I think they're going to bounce back Good. guys. This has been again, as always a tremendous discussion, CFL football at its best. We have talked, kind of talked about this, you know, before the broadcast, it is great to see great games. We're not talking about the quality of the game and you know, the passing games and it's all defense. Is this a trend or not? We're seeing great football and it's a, an applaud to the coaching staff, the players, of course, the fans showing up. It's a, been a real nice bounce back season. And of course, it's great having you guys talking about uh, these games and breaking it down for us and looking forward as well too. Jeff Hamilton, Winnipeg Press, where can we, uh, Free Press, where can we find it? 
winnipegfreepress.com. And if you uh, will be doing all CFL coverage, exciting Jets offseason, a non-exciting offseason is made for an exciting offseason. So all, all, uh, all that in the winnipegfreepress.com. Glenn, where do we find you? Well, I, I have the Edmonton game for TSN this weekend and Winnipeg. So uh, I missed the Calgary game. Darn it. <laughs> but, uh, but hey, every time that the Bombers play, can they get knocked off? Can they? Is this going to be the one week? So that storyline is certainly strong in, in the Winnipeg game. But those two games are mine this weekend. All right. And Ben, again, fantastic rookie performance. Ben. Nice. Where, where can we find you? Uh, I'm doing my best you? here. So, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Ben double underscore Grant. And you can find all my work, video breakdowns and day to day Argos coverage at X's and Argos dot com. Well, three more meetings in the next four weeks between the Thai Cats and the Argos. We'll be seeing. Again. Come, hey, come find us at Iverwin. Listen to me at Tim Hortons Field for sure. I'll see you there on Friday. All right, guys. Uh, again, thank you so much for joining us, folks. This has been the CFO this week on the Tie Cats Audio Network. We are with us uh, with you every Monday with the new podcast, talking CFL, talking a little controversy on and off the field. Hey, this week we talked about the owners for crying out loud being on social media. So we can we can touch a lot of things, guys. Uh, like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube, and of course we're always on all oh, whatever podcast catcher that uh, you you subscribe to. We are there. So join us next week. This has been the CFO this week. I'm Bubba O'Neill saying, watch us on the Tie Cats Audio Network. The CFL this week with Bubba O'Neill. Subscribe, like, and get the deepest takes on Canada's game every Monday.